The Street of the First Shell, Part 4, recorded for LibriVox by Maria Celano. When midnight sounded from the belfry of St. Sulphus, the gates of Paris were still choked with fragments of what had once been an army. They entered with the night, a sullen horde, spattered with slime, faint with hunger and exhaustion. There was little disorder at first, and the throng at the gates parted silently as the troops tramped along the freezing streets. Confusion came as the hours passed, swiftly and more swiftly, crowding squadron after squadron and battery on battery, horses plunging and caissons jolting. The remnants from the front surged through the gates, a chaos of cavalry and artillery struggling for the right of way. Close upon them stumbled the infantry, here a skeleton of a regiment marching with a desperate attempt at order, there a riotous mob of mobiles crushing their way to the streets, then a turmoil of horsemen, cannon, troops without officers, officers without men, then again a line of ambulances, the wheels groaning under their heavy loads. Dumb with misery the crowd looked on. All through the day the ambulances had been arriving, and all day long the ragged throng whimpered and shivered by the barriers. At noon the crowd was increased tenfold, filling the squares about the gates and swarming over the inner fortifications. At four o'clock in the afternoon the German batteries suddenly wreathed themselves in smoke, and the shells fell fast on Montparnasse. At twenty minutes after four, two projectiles struck a house in the Rue de Bac, and a moment later the first shell fell in the Latin Quarter. Braith was painting in bed when West came in very much scared. "'I wish you would come down. Our house has been knocked into a cocked hat, and I'm afraid that some of the pillagers may take it into their heads to pay us a visit tonight.' Braith jumped out of bed and bundled himself into a garment which had once been an overcoat. "'Anybody hurt?' he inquired, struggling with a sleeve full of dilapidated lining. "'No, Colette is barricaded in the cellar, and the concierge ran away to the fortifications. There will be a rough gang there if the bombardment keeps up. You might help us.' "'Of course,' said Braith. But it was not until they had reached the Rue Serpent and had turned into the passage which led to West's cellar that the latter cried, "'Have you seen Jack Trent today?' "'No,' replied Braith, looking troubled. "'He was not at ambulance headquarters.' "'He stayed to take care of Sylvia, I suppose.' A bomb came crashing through the roof of a house at the end of the alley and burst in the basement, showering the street with slate and plaster. A second struck a chimney and plunged into the garden, followed by an avalanche of bricks. And another exploded with a deafening report in the next street. They hurried along the passage to the steps which led to the cellar. Here again Braith stopped. "'Don't you think I had better run up to see if Jack and Sylvia are well entrenched? "'I can get back before dark.' "'No, go in and find Colette, and I'll go.' "'No, no, let me go. There's no danger.' "'I know it,' replied West calmly, "'and, dragging Braith into the alley, pointed to the cellar steps. 
the iron door was barred. Colette! Colette! he called. The door swung inward, and the girl sprang up the stairs to meet them. At that instant, Braith, glancing behind him, gave a startled cry, and pushing the two before him into the cellar, jumped down after them and slammed the iron door. A few seconds later, a heavy jar from the outside shook the hinges. "'They're here,' muttered West, very pale. "'That door,' observed Colette calmly, "'will hold forever.' Braith examined the low iron structure, now trembling with the blows rained on it from without. West glanced anxiously at Colette, who displayed no agitation, and this comforted him. "'I don't believe they will spend much time here,' said Braith. "'They only rummage in cellars for spirits, I imagine.' "'unless they hear that valuables are buried there.' "'But surely nothing is buried here!' exclaimed Braith uneasily. "'Unfortunately there is,' growled West, "'that miserly landlord of mine.' A crash from the outside followed by a yell cut him short. Then blow after blow shook the doors until there came a sharp snap, a clinking of metal and a triangular bit of iron fell inwards, leaving a hole through which struggled a ray of light. Instantly West knelt, and shoving his revolver through the aperture, fired every cartridge. For a moment the alley resounded with the racket of the revolver. Then absolute silence followed. Presently a single questioning blow fell upon the door, and a moment later another and another, and then a sudden crack zigzagged across the iron plate. "'Here,' said West, seizing Colette by the wrist, "'you follow me, Braith.' and he ran swiftly toward a circular spot of light at the further end of the cellar. The spot of light came from a barred manhole above. West motioned for Braith to mount on his shoulders. "'Push it over! You must!' With little effort, Braith lifted the barred cover, scrambled out on his stomach, and easily raised Colette from West's shoulders. "'Quick, old chap!' cried the latter. Braith twisted his legs around a fence chain and leaned down again. The cellar was flooded with a yellow light, and the air reeked with the stench of petroleum torches. The iron door still held, but a whole plate of metal was gone, and now as they looked a figure came creeping through, holding a torch. "'Quick!' whispered Braith. "'Jump!' And West hung dangling until Colette grasped him by the collar and he was dragged out. Then her nerves gave way, and she wept hysterically, but West threw his arm around her and led her across the garden into the next street, where Braith, after replacing the manhole cover and piling some stone slabs from the wall over it, rejoined them. It was almost dark. They hurried through the street, now only lighted by burning buildings, or the swift glare of the shells. They gave wide berth to the fires, but at a distance saw the flitting forms of pillagers among the debris. Sometimes they passed a female fury crazed with drink shrieking anathemas upon the world, or some slouching lout whose blackened face and hands betrayed his share in the work of destruction. At last they reached the Seine and passed the bridge, and then Braith said, "'I must go back. I am not sure of Jack and Sylvia.' As he spoke, he made way for a crowd which came trampling across the bridge and along the river wall by the D'Orsay barracks. 
in the midst of it west caught the measured tread of a platoon a lantern passed a file of bayonets then another lantern which glimmered on a deathly face behind and colette gasped hartman and he was gone they peered fearfully across the embankment holding their breath there was a shuffle of feet on the quay and the gate of the barracks slammed a lantern shone for a moment at the postern the crowd pressed to the grill then came the clang of the volley from the stone parade one by one the petroleum torches flared along the embankment and now the whole square was in motion down from the champs-elysees and across the place de la concorde straggled the fragments of the battle a company here and a mob there they poured in from every street followed by women and children and a great murmur borne on the icy wind swept through the arc de triomphe and down the dark avenue Pardon, pardon. a ragged end of a battalion was pressing past the spectre of annihilation west groaned then a figure sprang from the shadowy ranks and called west's name and when he saw it was trent he cried out trent seized him white with terror sylvia west stared speechless but colette moaned oh sylvia sylvia and they are shelling the quarter trent shouted braith but he was gone and they could not overtake him the bombardment ceased as Trent crossed the boulevard Saint-Germain, but the entrance to the Rue de Seine was blocked by a heap of smoking bricks. Everywhere the shells had torn great holes in the pavement. The café was a wreck of splinters and glass. The bookstore tottered, ripped from roof to basement, and the little bakery, long since closed, bulged outward above a mass of slate and tin. He climbed over the steaming bricks and hurried into the Rue de Tournon. On the corner a fire blazed, lighting up his own street, and on the bank wall, beneath a shattered gas lamp, a child was writing with a bit of cinder. Here fell the first shell. The letters stared him in the face. The rat-killer finished and stepped back to view his work, but catching sight of Trent's bayonet, screamed and fled, and as Trent staggered across the shattered street, from holes and crannies in the ruins, fierce women fled from their work of pillage, cursing him. At first he could not find his house, for the tears blinded him, but he felt along the wall and reached the door a lantern burned in the concierge's lodge and the old man lay dead beside it faint with fright he leaned a moment on his rifle then snatching the lantern sprang up the stairs he tried to call but his tongue hardly moved on the second floor he saw a plaster on the stairway and on the third the floor was torn and the concierge lay in a pool of blood across the landing the next floor was his theirs the door hung from its hinges the walls gaped he crept in and sank down by the bed and there two arms were flung around his neck and a tear-stained face sought his own sylvia oh jack 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 from the tumbled pillow beside them a child wailed 
They thought it, it is mine, she sobbed. Ours, he whispered, with his arms around them both. Then from the stairs below came Braith's anxious voice. Trent, is all well? End of the Street of the First Shell